We're glad to have our young people back. The, the group came back from me and you this afternoon. They got back a little before 3 o'clock. And it's interesting this morning with base, most of our young people gone. I a few here, but uh, I usually, you know, walk down front and walk by them and smile or they give me weird looks or something. And there were none of them down here. I know what to do. It was strange. We are glad they're back. They had a great weekend. Noah mentioned uh, he's, he's working up in the AV room this evening. He, he didn't skip out. Don't worry. Uh, he's up there helping in the AV room, but uh, he's going to be mentioning some things about Evangelism University next Sunday night, but uh, I, I asked him if it would be okay if I said, you know, they had a good trip, and he said, well, we didn't. No, I'm just kidding. They, they, had a, they had a great weekend, and we appreciate those who, who went and helped with that. It's just great to have them back safely. I won't say who, but David Dodd, before we started, said, well, it's snowing. you got to keep it short. And I said, well, I could preach till it melts. And I won't say who, but it's the elder I'm related to. Said, you got enough hot air. We're talking about love tonight. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> the word doctrine is one of those words that you, you rarely hear outside of religious settings, church settings. If you're a student of American history, you may sort of somewhat recall the, the Monroe Doctrine, but really other than that, we usually only use this word doctrine as it pertains to, to things like religion and, and Scripture. But when, you, when, when you think about that word, it, it is a biblical term. It's not just some word we decide to use because it sounds fancy or pretty or something like that. It's a word that we use because you find it in, in the Bible, in the New Testament. But what does that word mean? At its most basic level, the word just means teaching or instruction. It may sound a little bit like a, a fancier word for it, but that's really all that it means. But if that's true, that's what the word means, and if it's true it's found in the Bible, specifically the New Testament, then we should expect the Bible to tell us something about what that word is, what it means for our lives. How do we know what is correct teaching? How do we know what is incorrect teaching? How do we know what is right and what is wrong? I want to do something tonight that I hope you find interesting. I hope you always find lessons interesting, but this is a little different. We're not going to look at one specific text. We're going to go through the New Testament. We're going to be in one book most of the time. But I want us to see where this word is found in the New Testament. And in so doing, I want us to think about some marks of biblical doctrine. What, what is it the New Testament says about this word that can help us know how to apply it in our lives. If you'll turn to the book of 1 Timothy, I'll go ahead and tell you the first four of these are found in that book. There'll be one more found elsewhere in the New Testament. But by piecing these five things together, we can get a picture of what biblical doctrine actually is or is supposed to be if we're going to be faithful to God. Number one, biblical doctrine is distinct. This is found in 1 Timothy chapter 1. Of course, you'll remember that Paul was writing to a, a younger man who some have suggested you could call his protege. Paul will call Timothy his son in the faith. Paul had left uh, Timothy at Ephesus to preach for a time. That's where he is when this letter is written. But right out of the gate in this letter, look at what Paul writes in 1 Timothy 1 verses 3 and 4. As I, as I urged you when I was going to Macedonia, remain at Ephesus so that you may charge certain persons not to teach any different doctrine, nor to devote themselves to myths and endless genealogies which promote speculations rather than the stewardship from God that is by faith. 
It's right at the end of verse 3 that you see our word doctrine. But did you notice that Paul said that there is a different doctrine? I won't try to pronounce the Greek word as translated as doctrine, but you may find it interesting that in the original language, the phrase different doctrine is one really, really long word that the beginning of that word is a, a prefix that we know. Hetero. Something that is different. Something that is different from. Paul is using a word that literally means different doctrine or different teaching. But consider that for a moment. Why would Paul write that? Or maybe a better question would be, how could that command be even possible? Well, it's only possible if we can know what is true doctrine and thus what differs from that. It is only possible if there is a set of teaching that we can know and understand and then be willing to say that there are other things that are not consistent with, that are different from that teaching. But we live in a time where we're told that there is no such thing as truth or we're told that one truth is as good as another. You have your truth, I have mine. It not really make any difference. In our religious world, we're, we're sometimes told we would care that much about doctrine because that doesn't matter all that much. So long as you're sincere about something religious, God will accept you. So, so don't worry about all the details. Folks, if that's true, then why would the Holy Spirit inspire a writer to tell this young preacher to make sure that no different doctrine be taught? Why would Paul waste the ink and frankly waste our time and try to make sure that no different doctrine was to be held to? Now, will we always get it right? No, we're human. Will we struggle at times to understand it? Of course. But just because sometimes we struggle, and frankly just because sometimes we fail, that does not give us an excuse to avoid studying and trying to know the truth and make sure that we are holding on to distinct, true teaching. When you think about our young people, we speak to them just for a moment. In one of these days, we don't want this to happen, but one of these days you might leave Paducah. We want you to be right here, but... You may leave for a time to go to college. You may move away someday for a job or military service because you marry someone from somewhere else. And when you do, you're going to be looking for a place to worship. At least, you better be looking for a place to worship. But one of the things that you look for is a place where at times you will hear distinctive teaching. You know, there are some sermons and Bible classes and things that are not all that distinctive. For example, a Mother's Day sermon you could probably hear very similar Mother's Day sermons at almost any church you might attend because we're generally teaching some things. But over the course of time, there should be Bible classes, sermons, announcements from elders and other things that make it clear that there are distinctive teachings in Scripture. Things about the plan of salvation, including baptism, the role of women, why we don't use mechanical instruments and music, and other things. Those things don't have to be mentioned in every single sermon, but if they're never mentioned, you need to open your eyes a little bit. Biblical doctrine is distinct. There is something that stands out about it as true. Number two, biblical doctrine also is healthy. In the very same chapter, we come across this word again, and it comes at the conclusion of a somewhat lengthy list. Look at 1 Timothy chapter 1, beginning of verse 8. We'll read through verse 10. Paul said, Now we know that the law is good, if one uses it lawfully, understanding this, that the law is not laid down for the just, but for the lawless and disobedient, for the ungodly and sinners, 
for the unholy and profane, for those who strike their fathers and mothers, for murderers, the sexually immoral, men who practice homosexuality, enslavers, liars, perjurers, and whatever else is contrary to sound doctrine. There's our word. If you're reading tonight from the English Standard Version, from which I just read, you may notice you have a footnote beside the word sound that at the bottom of the page or wherever you have your, your notes says the word can also mean healthy. And that's why we chose to call this point that biblical doctrine is, is healthy. But it's, you may find it of interest, the reason you have that note that's also healthy is because the original Greek word is the word from which we get our word hygiene. And we often talk about caring for our bodies. We use that word in that way. Maybe it pertains to you know, taking showers or when the dentist says to, to practice good oral hygiene, you know exactly what that dentist is talking about. Brushing your teeth and <clears throat> flossing and, and all that stuff, right? We, we know what that means. We know the benefits of those sorts of things. But here, Paul uses that same concept, that same terminology, to describe it as a mark of biblical doctrine. It promotes a health in our lives, especially in the, our souls, that really nothing else can provide. It needs to be said, God knows what is ultimately best for us. And as such, God places those things that provide the, the yeses for our lives and the noes for our lives. And when we obey the yeses and we refrain from the noes, we are living in a way that is spiritually healthy and that is to our ultimate good. And that's very important to notice anywhere in Scripture, but especially in this passage. Since Paul takes the time to, to list a few sins, obviously not every possible sin, but included in that list are some things our culture greatly struggles with. Things like homosexuality in a more general way, just things like sexually, uh, sexual immorality. Our world wants us to think that you should just enjoy sexual relationships with anyone you want and there be no real boundaries to it. In fact, what we are told is that it's actually healthy to do so because you're expressing yourself, you're finding out who you truly love, but God's Word says that mindset is bunk. God knows what is truly healthy for us. And as such, He makes it clear in a loving way that sexual sin is unhealthy. It is not love is love. It is sin is unhealthy. But it's also true of any sin on that list. When we live to God's yeses and avoid God's noes, we are promoting spiritual health that nothing else could ever give us. Biblical doctrine is healthy. Number three, biblical doctrine is good. In many ways, this is the simplest point we'll consider tonight, but there's something profound behind it. You're still in 1 Timothy, but turn over to chapter 4. And Paul returned the concept of doctrine again. In, in 1 Timothy 4 and verse 6, he said, If you put these things before the brothers, you will be a good servant of Christ Jesus, being trained in the words of the faith and of the good doctrine that you have followed. Now I thought when I was putting this lesson together, you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to take a long time and dig down deep into that word good and find some deep meaning from the Greek language and just really, really impress you. You know what the word means? Good. Didn't take all that long. Anything that we might think of in English as good, things like excellent or beautiful, that's exactly what this word means. But tie it to another verse where a different writer uses the same term. Every good and perfect gift is from above. James 1.17 
God is good, and all that He does is good. And as such, God defines what is good. And here by inspiration, the doctrine that was taught to Timothy was defined in that way. And that is vital for us to remember and to couple with another famous passage from an Old Testament prophet, Isaiah, who said in his day, something that's still true in our day, woe to those who call evil good and good evil. And he adds other pictures there. Who put darkness for light and light for darkness. Who put bitter for sweet and sweet for bitter. Woe to those who are wise in their own eyes and shrewd in their own sight. Isaiah chapter 5, verses 20 and 21. You put those together and you can see why calling biblical doctrine a word as simple as good may seem like a small thing, but it's actually profound. Our world wants to call the things of the Bible evil. And they want to call the sins of the world good. But God defines what is good. And the doctrine that He has laid out, the teaching that He has given, is good. And as such, we have no right to change it, to add to it, to delete from it, to sweep it under the rug, or to look at it in any other way than it is good. Number four, biblical doctrine also is godly. This is the last one found in 1 Timothy. It's found in the last chapter, 1 Timothy chapter 6. We, we won't read the entire paragraph, but read verse 3 with me, beginning uh, to, through excuse me, the beginning of verse 4. If anyone teaches a different doctrine and does not agree with the sound words of our Lord Jesus Christ and the teaching that accords with godliness, he is puffed up with conceit and understands nothing. Now this is a time where I wish the English Standard Version was more consistent. As we read verse 3 from that translation, you had the word doctrine once, but later in verse 3 you had the word teaching. It's the same word. The King James Version and some other translations, you, you have something about the doctrine that accords with godliness. He's using the same word. And so that's why we're saying biblical doctrine is godly. That might seem like an obvious statement, but sadly to some, it's not so obvious. One reason, not the only reason, is because a lot of people would say that you can follow God without really needing all of this Bible stuff, all these specific teachings and those sorts of things. What they basically would say is, you can live a godly life, but you get to decide where are the boundaries? Where are the guardrails? What are the actual rules? But passages like this one make it clear that that mindset is wrong. God, in His love and His wisdom, gave us doctrine. Take those in reverse order. It's from His wisdom because all God does is wise. He is perfectly wise. But it is also from His love because it is the only way we can know that we are pleasing Him and that we can be assured of being saved from our sins. I can be tremendously sincere in trying to follow God my own way and can end up being sincerely wrong. I can feel as if I'm doing right. But we all know in various areas of life, including Christianity, feelings can be very, very deceiving. But if I will simply look at the teaching that God has given and realize it is from Him, and that I need to seek to honor Him, then I can know when I'm following it, and I can know when I'm failing to do so. And by the way, be grateful for when I do fail to do so, that He has shown me how to turn from that and come back to the right way and live a godly life through biblical doctrine. And number five, the one that's not in First Timothy, biblical doctrine 
is based on Christ. This is found in Hebrews chapter 6. And this may be a bit of an odd reading, but it will talk about leaving doctrine, but the point I hope will become clear as we think about it. After telling the readers to be certain they remain strong in the faith uh, at the end of uh, what we know as Hebrews chapter 5, look at what the writer says in the first three verses of Hebrews chapter 6. Therefore, let us leave the elementary doctrine of Christ and go on to maturity, not laying again a foundation of repentance of dead works and of faith toward God and of instructions about washings, the laying on of hands, the resurrection of the dead, the eternal and eternal judgment. And this we will do if God permits. Now again, we're pulling some verses here. He's talked about the first word, excuse me, is therefore. So I know we're pulling some things out. So we may read that and think, wait a minute. Is he saying to forget about Christ? Leave, leave Christ behind? Is he saying we just, just leave Jesus behind and then dive off into these deep waters, these particular deep waters he talks about? No, no. It's actually quite the contrary. He's basically saying that these Christians understood or should have understood Jesus. They had a relationship with Him, if you want to think of it that way, but they were not then continuing to move on to things that were challenging their thinking. And when they failed to do that, they were going to, they were going to confront deeper issues that could shake their faith if they weren't studying them and considering them. But, but think about this. They could not properly consider those deeper things that the writer talked about if they did not already have a basic doctrine, if you will, about Jesus. He is the basis for it all. Or we may put it this way. Even the deepest things of the Word of God, in some form or fashion, Point back to Jesus. That's not to say that we have to use the name of Jesus in every Bible class lesson or every sermon or every to, to make it biblical. No. But it is to say there should be a logical connection between every last thing that we believe, teach, and practice. A connection between those things and Jesus. Because everything that we believe, teach, and practice rises or falls on how we're related to Him. Young people, they talk to you again. There's a key word here, and the word is balance. Again, when you're grown, maybe looking for a congregation, central, or wherever you happen to be, do not choose a congregation that's out of balance in either of these directions. On one side of things, you can find places that only talk about Jesus as love and a relationship with Him and never talk about deeper things that stretch your thinking. Things like the Hebrews writer was talking about. But on the other side, don't just find a congregation that preaches issues all the time and never takes the time to remind you of how wonderful and amazing Jesus is. He is the foundation for all of it. Biblical doctrine finds its basis in the person and the teaching and the death and the resurrection and the church and the inspired writings of Jesus. You know, the word doctrine may seem like a pretty boring word. But we see the marks of it in Scripture. And we seek to have those things in what we believe and teach and practice. That's how we can know if we're faithful to the Lord. Seeing is how God has given us His Word, and especially seeing how He has given it to us in written form, it is obvious that He expects us to read and study and know the teachings, the instructions, the doctrine that He's given to us. We never need to run away from saying that there is truth 
that God has revealed that truth and that we can know that truth. And that truth is the doctrine of Jesus the Christ. Aren't you thankful that God did not leave us in this world just to float around and try to figure it out? Aren't you thankful that God said some things that challenge us some things that cause us to question ourselves, some things we have to change, but thankfully, things that say, here is how you please me. And if I may paraphrase, because I want you to come home with me. That's how much God loves us. And it makes that little word doctrine very much not a boring word. It makes an essential word. Part of that doctrine is what must I do to be saved. That doctrine says, from the lips of Jesus, except you believe that I am He, you will die in your sins. That doctrine from the lips of Jesus says, repent or you will perish. That doctrine from the lips of Jesus says, whoever confesses me before men, him will I also confess before my Father who is in heaven. That doctrine from the lips of Jesus says, the one who believes and is baptized will be saved. Have you done that? I suppose on a Sunday night when it's snowing, it's like 700 degrees below zero. <laughs> Most of us in this room have, if not all of us in this room who are of age have. But that doctrine from the lips of Jesus also says, be faithful unto death and I'll give you a crown of life. Is there something in your life as a Christian that's not following that doctrine of Christ, that's unfaithful or is discouraged or is needing help, we would love to pray with you. We can assist you any way. Will you come? Always stand and sing to encourage you.